Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Here's a game everyone can play. The rules are simple. Better get some more sleep. After last night, you need it. All right, folks. Follow the rules and you're ready to play the mating game. Poppy? Huh? Got a problem on our hands. She's ripe and ready, that girl. That girl is Debbie Reynolds, a delight in denims, in MGM's wild and wonderful adaptation of The Darling Buds of May, the uproarious bestseller that rollicked two continents. The incredible adventures of the lustiest, happiest family that ever ignored their income tax. Mr. Larkin, please listen to me. I am here to investigate you. Tony Randall is terrific as the internal revenue agent who ferrets out tax dodgers like a bird dog. You know, I've got your number. Fine. While you appraise me, I'll appraise your property. You took my blue ribbon champion boar? Well, uh, we have a sow with no boar. You get the connection? Uh, one's no good without the other. Like they say, it uh, takes two to tango. <laughs> Pop Larkin, warmly portrayed by Paul Douglas, loves his neighbors and expects them to do likewise. Fred Clark hilariously portrays the boss tax fan. High bracket, low bracket. If Uncle doesn't get his cut, we nail your hide to the barnyard door. In your wildest nightmares, you never imagine such goings-on. One hilarious episode after another, set against the beauty of the countryside, filled to bursting with rowdy romance and convulsing comedy. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie The Mating Game from 1959. The studio is MGM, the release date April 29th, 1959. The running time, 96 minutes, and it was in color. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guide gives it 3 out of 4 stars. He writes, Zippy comedy romp of tax agent Tony Randall falling in love with farm girl Debbie Reynolds, with Paul Douglas rambunctious as Debbie's father. Now, I first saw this movie on TCM, oh, probably about 10 years ago, and I especially enjoyed Debbie Reynolds' performance. It's a fun movie that you can watch at any time, and it won't depress you, which is why it's in my DVD collection. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. So, the film was made during a tumultuous time in Debbie Reynolds' life, as her then-husband, Eddie Fisher, had left her for Elizabeth Taylor. And she, at the time, was the widow of Fisher's best friend, Mike Todd. By all accounts, Reynolds was always a class act about Eddie Fisher and would even give her presents to her children saying they were from Fisher, though he was essentially a missing father for his kids in their younger years. Carrie Fisher was her oldest child, if you didn't know already. 
Reynolds did countless USO shows for the troops overseas, along with her regular charity work. Now, Fisher would get his by marrying Taylor, who at the time was on her fourth husband, with three more to go. Even though this was a trying time for Reynolds, you couldn't tell by her performance in the mating game as she was delightful as ever. But Reynolds was rightfully distraught at the time. She was losing weight and interest in acting. But director George Marshall tried his best to brighten Reynolds' spirits and even brought a blender to the film set to make her milkshakes and force her to eat. Everyone that was part of the film cared about Reynolds and her well-being. Marshall would go on to direct another film with Debbie Reynolds the same year and that we covered on this podcast. It's the dark comedy The Gazebo with Glenn Ford. For many folks, well, they know Tony Randall as a TV actor, most notably from The Odd Couple with Jack Klugman. But in the 1950s and 60s, he was a popular character actor appearing in films like Will Success Spoil Rock Hunter, The Doris Dan Rock Hudson Trifecta of Pillow Talk, Lover Come Back, and Send Me No Flowers. He was also in Let's Make Love and Boys Night Out. Paul Douglas started acting in films later in his life as he was in his early 40s at the time. His film debut was in 1949's A Letter to Three Wives. His career remained steady with films like The Original Angels in the Outfield, Clash by Night, Executive Suite, and The Solid Gold Cadillac. Sadly, The Mating Game would be his final film as he died of a heart attack in 1959 at the age of 52. Now, it was said that he was offered the part of Shirley MacLaine's boss and love interest in the apartment prior to his untimely death. Of course, that role went to Fred McMurray. Okay, let's get into the film. So it opens with a narration from Pop Larkin, that's Paul Douglas, who runs a family farm in Maryland. This later transitions to the theme song for the film performed by Debbie Reynolds. Maryland, my Maryland. Now, don't get me wrong. When I say my Maryland, I don't mean I own it all. Just the best part. <laughs> Take a look at that. Pretty nice, eh? lum dee da dum dum dee dum lum dee dee And how about that one there? <laughs> that belongs to my neighbor, Mr. Burnshaw. <laughs> but my place is in a class by itself. Anything anybody could possibly want, I've got it. Case of love at first sight, just like you and me, huh, Ma? Look here, don't you go comparing us to a couple of pigs. Don't you be so touchy. Lee! Lee! Yeah, Pop? Time to get Mr. Burnshaw's pig home. Hurry up now. Come on. Okay, Pop. Come on, Grant. Come on now, Vicky. Susie, everybody helps here. Okay, 
All right, get along now. Where's Mariette? She's up in the barn. Well, you go along. Mariette? Mariette! What's up, Pop? We gotta take Mr. Burnshaw's pig back. Ready? Yeah, right now. You meet a boy, he smiles at you. Your eyes light up, your heart does too. You feel so weak, you can't speak your name. You've started the mating game. He takes you home, he holds you tight. You can't resist a kiss goodnight. You may pretend that the moon's to blame, but no, it's the mating game. And as the game goes on, sometimes you think you lose. You'll fight, you'll cry, he'll say goodbye and leave you with the blues. But he comes back, you're all aglow, you're in his arms, you love him so. And when he tells you he feels the same, you found the right mate for the mating game. Here we go. Come on, old boy. Come on, Lee. Get in here. Help your sister. You had enough romance. Here we go. Let's get out. Mariette, which is Debbie Reynolds, is the oldest of five kids. And before you think this is a musical, well, it isn't. (laughs) But often, in films from the 50s and the 60s, you may get a theme song performed by the star in the opening credits, a la Doris Day. Pop and the kids are supposed to return one of their wealthy neighbor's prized pigs back to him. And this neighbor is named Wendell Burnshaw. It seems that Pop, quote-unquote, borrowed the blue ribbon boar in order to breed with his own sow. The problem is that under the law, well, this would be considered stealing. But as you will find out, Pop, though kind and carefree, well, he really isn't a stickler for common sense laws. The way Pop earns a living is all through bartering. He trades goods and services for everything. There are never any cash transactions. So Pop and the kids go over to the not-so-neighborly Mr. Burnshaw's mansion. He happens to be throwing a large party. But then the boar gets loose and runs through his house. Mr. Burnshaw doesn't like Pop and then takes the blueberry pie that Marlarkin baked for him and throws it out the door. Seeing this, Mariette then takes a piece of the pie and throws it at Mr. Burnshaw, hitting him square in the face because she's defending her father. The family leaves Mr. Burnshaw's property. For 10 years, the stuffy Mr. Burnshaw has hated living near the Larkins. He's tried buying their farm for more money than it's worth just to get them to move, but all to no avail. Everyone gets along with the Larkins, except Burnshaw. Burnshaw then talks to his tax lawyer and decides that Larkin must be cheating on his taxes, because how else could he live on just the bartering system? If the tax collectors come after the Larkins, well, he'd probably lose his house, which is what Burnshaw wants. Burnshaw and his tax lawyer go straight to the IRS. Oliver Kelsey works for the IRS, that's played by Fred Clark, and they decide to investigate the Larkins. Kelsey puts his best agent, Lorenzo Charlton, who's played by Tony Randall, on the case. But Lorenzo is immediately suspicious of Burnshaw's motives, since nobody reports private citizens to the IRS simply out of patriotic loyalty. There must be a motive on Burnshaw's part. 
Lorenzo discovers that not only has Pop Larkin never paid any income tax, but he's never even filed a tax return. The next day, Lorenzo heads to the Larkin farm to investigate. When he arrives, he sees Mariette riding her horse with a few other boys who are all smitten with her. While Mariette is very attractive, she's like one of the guys when it comes to housework and horseplay. Though her age is never said, well, I'm thinking she's probably supposed to be 18 or 19 in the film. Lorenzo immediately finds out that the Larkins aren't like the regular people he investigates. They are jovial and warm, and they treat Lorenzo like he's one of the family. They have absolutely no care in the world about his investigation. As a matter of fact, Pa is completely honest about never filing taxes. And his answer is simple. Income-wise, he never really had any cash around or a bank account. So he never even bothered to file taxes. Everything in the house is from trade. No cash was ever exchanged, nor any record of the transaction. Lorenzo, who's seeing all the property in the house, assumes the Larkins must have a gross annual income of over $600, which is the minimum requirement to file income taxes. And again, keep in mind, it's 1959. Lorenzo asks Pop how he acquired a refrigerator in the cab of his truck. Pop says that he traded a manure spreader for it. So Lorenzo asks how much the manure spreader costs. And Pop says it costs 50 loads of manure. How did Pop get the manure? Well, he traded two cows for them. Lorenzo is completely baffled that anyone can actually live like this. But Pop's rationale is that by trading items, there's no hard feelings between the parties. Both sides get something tangible. Whereas if it's a cash transaction, there could be hard feelings. Lorenzo tells the Larkins he's going to do a full appraisal of everything they own in the house and that they better round up all of the cash in the house because they're going to need it. The two youngest twin daughters, both 11 years old, give Lorenzo the $4 they saved selling flowers that they were going to use for Pop's birthday present. Lorenzo now feels awful. He calms down a bit by saying he's just trying to do his job and he doesn't want the family to get into trouble. Lorenzo then tries to appraise all of the property, but Mariette follows him around the two annoy each other. Lorenzo asks for an estimate of each item while Mariette tries to get him to loosen up a bit. Beautiful. Now, don't you feel better? I feel perfectly fine. I know, I know. You know, whenever I get in a nasty mood like you were... It wasn't a nasty mood. I just mood. come out here and I lie down and listen. And look. And in no time at all, whatever's been bothering me seems no bigger than one leaf on a whole tree. Now, you tell me how much that's worth, and I'll pay the taxes on it myself. It's nice. Say, uh, why don't you come and sit over here? Hmm? Pop says if heaven's anything like this, he wouldn't mind dying. Except it's too nice being alive. Hey, listen, meadowlarks. Where? Look, look, right over there, see? Oh, Bet you never saw one before, No, huh? I never did. Oh, golly. Aren't they beautiful? Thank you for the birds that sing. Thank you, Lord, for everything. Amen. Say, how can you live in a stinking city? I work there. And I study law at night. 
A lawyer? Well, not for another year. Oh. Then I'm off to Washington. What for? Experience, contacts. Hmm. In another four years, I intend to run for Congress. No kidding. Yeah. How come? Well, I could tell you, but you may not like the answer. <laughs> I'll take a chance. Well, a tax investigator gets a pretty clear picture of what's wrong with this country. You have no idea, no conception of how many irresponsible people I meet. Completely oblivious to any sense of duty, not merely dodging their taxes, every aspect of their lives. Take your family, for example. Well, I don't uh, intend to be uh, critical, of course. But what are you contributing to the national welfare? Nothing. Where are you headed? Nowhere, no ambition, no goals. Just eat, drink, have a good time. It's not your fault, not entirely. It's up to the leaders of this country to revitalize the entire... that for? Because you're so cute. Because I felt like it. What's the matter? Don't you want to kiss me? Hmm? No, no, I don't, I don't. <laughs> you don't? No, please. Please, let's go. Please, let's go, huh? Oh! Oh, oh my Jesus. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Come on, boy. <laughs> yes, Lorenzo fell in the lake after Mariette kissed him. A soaking wet Lorenzo returns to the house and gets a phone call from Kelsey who reiterates that he really put the squeeze on the Larkins since Burnshaw has powerful friends at the Treasury. Ah, good old government graft. So Pop and Ma overhear Lorenzo on the phone saying that he'll be back in the city that night. They don't want him to leave because they really want Mariette to work her charm on Lorenzo. Not because of the tax situation. They don't really seem to care or even understand the potential liability, but they can tell Mariette actually likes Lorenzo. In order to keep Lorenzo at the house and not rush back to the city, they perform a few acts of subterfuge. One involves the two youngest boys, quote-unquote, fixing Lorenzo's car, which means they're taking apart the engine without him knowing. The other is mixing a cocktail so potent it would knock out even the most ardent boozer. The other is, well, Mariette herself, who puts on her nicest dress and displays her undeniable charm and beauty. Well, the cocktails get the best of Lorenzo. Bingo, huh? 
holding you up down there. It's holding me up. Truth of the matter is, I'm defying the law of gravity. <laughs> Sorry? Good. Lorenzo, what is the joke? Lorenzo? Lorenzo. <laughs> Call me Charlie. He thinks I'm Lorenzo. <laughs> Carlton, are you all right? You bet your bottom. I got my fiddle tuned. I got wind in my sails. Traded a laughing organ for electric hyena. You're drunk, Lorenzo. Now you stop that. Look, is there anything wrong? Everything's perfect. Just perfect. You are drunk. Those tax dodgers have gotten you drunk. Now listen, boy, can you drive? Can I drive? Use your mentality. Wake up to reality. Now, all right, boy, you just steady down. Now you get in your car. Drive to the nearest town and get a room. Do you hear me? Roger. You sleep it off. Then get back there tomorrow. Understand? Roger, Dodger. Tomorrow you harpoon those tax dodgers and cut them to ribbon. Roger, Dodger, old cutter. Sacrifice anything somewhat might for the sake of having an in spite of a warning voice that comes in the night and repeats. Charlie, where are you going? Merry Christmas to all and to all. Good night. Charlie. Charlie. <laughs> so Lorenzo, or Charlie, stumbles outside to get his car and drive to a hotel and then discovers his car no longer has a motor. He's so drunk he doesn't even care and races around the house in his boxer shorts. Mariette eventually catches him by horse roping him. Eventually he passes out in Mariette's bed while Mariette sleeps downstairs. Lorenzo wakes up with the king of all hangovers, as expected. Mariette tries to sneak into her room to grab things, but Lorenzo wakes up. Mariette decides to have a bit of fun with Lorenzo and implies that the two slept together, but never actually says anything specific. Lorenzo, of course, wouldn't remember a thing and is horrified since this would jeopardize his job. Alright, there's about 30 minutes left, and, well, you know Lorenzo's in a bind. He's just trying to do his job, but part of him really likes the Larkins, especially Mariette. So how will the Larkins be able to get out of this tax liability and the pressure from Burnshaw? Well, I will say the ride to the end is terrific and very funny, and the eventual outcome is very fitting. The mating game really is a fun and charming film, and Debbie Reynolds steals the show, along with Paul Douglas, so check out the film if you can find it. Alright, a few fun facts. Debbie Reynolds really did jump the fence on a horse when she initially sees Tony Randall's character early on in the film. Reynolds was a natural athlete and never had ridden a horse before, but she picked it up quickly and she showed her talents. Now, the film is loosely based on a British novel by H.E. Bates called The Darling Buds of May and was the first of five novels based on the Larkin family. And in the early 1990s, the book was adapted to a British miniseries with Catherine Zena-Jones playing the Debbie Reynolds role of Mariette. All right, we get longtime guest Samantha who talks about seeing the mating game for the first time. So let's hear her thoughts on the film. And of course, I'll be back next week with yet another random movie from a DVD collection. Okay, we are back with Samantha. Welcome back. Hello. So here's another classic film that I don't believe you'd seen before. 
No, uh, I've never heard of it. Okay, but I do know that you enjoyed Debbie Reynolds films. And so this seemed like a pretty good choice. So uh, just right off the bat, what was your impression of watching this for the first time? It was, I think, like wackier than I expected. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> That's a good way to phrase it. I think I thought it was kind of going to be just like one of those cute little like 50s rom-coms. Right. Um, but it kind of, yeah, it got a little wacky and funny uh, with just the family dynamic. And it was almost kind of like Beverly, they're not like Beverly Hillbilly, uh, that show. Sure. Uh, why can't I say that? The Beverly Hillbilly. It is a tongue twister. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I kind of got that vibe from the family. Like, I don't know, just very zany. And then, yeah, the... IRS uh, <laughs> guy who comes and you know he gets drunk and right. <laughs> craziness <laughs> ensues. So yeah, it was, was a funny little movie. <laughs> well, okay, so the the premise of never spending actual cash or any sort of yeah. money seems really far fetched. But maybe you know, way back when, like if you're in rural America in the 40s mm -hmm. and the 30s, maybe it's not as far fetched. I don't know. So, what did you think of that plot point? Yeah, I thought it wasn't too unbelievable. Mm -hmm. um, again, like at that time, and then also even today, if you think about people are big into that like homesteading trend right, right? where we go out and we grow all our own food and we have our animals and we make everything. So in a way you can get by with potentially even then with spending very little money, but mm -hmm. Um, yeah, the basis of him trading for everything within the community, like that's a little fishy. Um, but I guess if you have like three pigs and you trade it for, you know, some furniture, I guess that might work. <laughs> you so never I, have to buy anything. I know you like to do, you like to go to, um, sort of stores and places like that. So I mean, oh, yeah. in, in a way, was this kind of near and dear to your heart? <laughs> I thought that's funny you mentioned that because I think in the first few scenes, they're kind of walking through their yard and there's just all this junk everywhere. Right. And I was like, oh, it would be sure fun to like dig around and look <laughs> at all that stuff. Um, because, yeah, I love like estate sales and finding right. little treasures at antique stores and things. So, yeah, someone who can make junk into things or kind of hoards things a bit um yeah i i understand <laughs> well what's funny in a pre-ebay world this is kind of the type of family that could survive off things like this yeah oh yeah and like they lived i think they mentioned they've lived on that farm for 150 years so right. probably just kept everything and i think then too people didn't just like get rid of stuff and like go to Ikea or right. <laughs> Walmart or you kind of just lived with what you had. So, right. uh, yeah, it's not super, the setting I think wasn't far-fetched for me in that way. So again, the, the main leader of this family, even though he's in the star is Paul Douglas playing uh, the father. So how did you feel about his character and, and him playing the character? Oh, good. Yeah. I thought he, had that kind of typical charming 
um, how to phrase it, but he played that role well where he seems a little... He's kind of like a lovable lunk, you know? Yes, yes. Lovable. And he, I think what I'm trying to get across is like he knows what he's doing. Yeah. So, you know, he knows he doesn't pay taxes. He knows he's being a little sneaky. But he's also playing it off that he, um, it's all very innocent. So... Right. And he gets by with how he acts. So yeah, a lovable, charming dad character. Yeah, he's um, kinda he's kinda got an aw shucks attitude, but yes, yeah, he's more yes. savvy than he lets on. Uh-huh. Exactly. Exactly. You put it back in me. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, and then uh, you know, and then of course Tony Randall comes along, he's kind of that uptight bookish type. Oh yeah. So I again I do you think he was miscast as like kind of I guess he turns into the love interest, but you know, he, he, I I think he's fine if he's just an IRS agent, but I'm not sure he's great as a as a quote unquote leading man. I don't know. How did you feel about Tony Randall? Yeah, so I really haven't seen him in much, but um, I did think he played that the stiff kind of dork, right? Uh, nerd, well, where yeah, he's there to do his job, and then he's going to run for Congress to you know fix people who don't follow the rules. Da 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 da. And I, of course, I thought that was funny how he landed with this family that's, you know, completely opposite. Oh, absolutely. Um, and yeah, that all went and the daughter, oldest daughter flirting with him and all of that and him being so awkward. I thought those were, you know, he played all of that well. Um, but yeah, it was a very quick jump to being, yeah, the love interest and. Yeah, what she saw in him, I don't know. But <laughs> right, I guess he's just completely foreign to what you know yeah. that rural lifestyle she was used to. So yeah, we'll, yeah. Then those we'll, guys who were always chasing her. Oh, I know. <laughs> okay, so actually, I'll pivot because I, there's one question I want to ask. So, you know, I almost thought she might have been a little bit too old to play that role because I think she was probably 27 at the time, and I'm mm-hmm. thinking she's like 17 or 18 in the film. I, I did. I don't remember them saying an age. Yeah, I didn't catch an age. I yeah, I did look. Up, I always when I watch these movies, I always look everybody up to see right. like how old, they, how old they were for some reason. Yeah, and she was in her late twenties when they filmed, and she could probably get by with being anywhere from yeah late teens to early twenties. Mm-hmm. Like I could see her, you know, living at home still. Sure. Like, you know, probably she wasn't going to go to college or anything. So no. she's just living at home until she gets married, working, helping out, et cetera. Cause she, you know, helps the mom in the kitchen, whatever. But um, yeah, at some points she seemed kind of like early twenties, but then how she behaved, you know, run, running around. Right. It was more like teenager yeah exactly so it <laughs> so, was yeah like where does she fall it was kind of yeah awkward at times yeah exactly and so i i think she pulled it off because i think she had you know she obviously looked young and she's, yeah. she's got a spunk to her um but do you almost think that it's almost seemed like a doris day type of film too yes a hundred percent yeah i've seen you know a few of her movies from the same time period and it's the very that was like the girl character at, in this era. It was right. you know, the sweet, charming, pretty. That was the, you know, stereotype. Yeah. Um, for sure. So 
she ticked all those boxes. Oh, without a doubt. So what what were some of your favorite parts of the film and what parts didn't you enjoy as much? So I think I liked, um, I always like in movies the kind of buildup and development of the storyline. So, and in these types of kind of like wacky rom-coms, that's when they get up to all of their little mishaps. So I really liked, I think, when he first showed up at the house and kind of mixing with the family and, you know, her trying to like get to know him and we were out, you know, looking at the property and, um, you know, all of that. And um, I think, of course, to the big scene when um, he drinks too much and then wakes up and he thinks he slept with her (laughs) which is kind of racy for the time it's quite racy and then how the parents you know people kind of said things and he thought you know one thing and they were thinking another thing so i thought that was kind of the big the kind of big comedic moment for me yeah and then i think the ending was really cute with how the kind of community rallied behind the family right they were going to help them buy stuff to raise money. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought this movie had some good like points, like bookending it, and that I enjoyed. But um, yeah, I think the parts that I I think bored with, and it's when these movies, I think also when they're so short like this, mm-hmm. they're trying to like wrap it all up. Right. So I think this one, it was a little messy with how they tried to. Um, you know, throw what was his name, Lorenzo? I think, yeah, yeah, they were trying to throw him off the case, and then um, the other men got involved, and all of a sudden, there were a lot of these guys, You're right? <laughs> like, trying to like fix the situation. I'm like, who is that? Who is that? So, I thought, yeah, the kind of conclusion in that regard was a little rushed, and mm-hmm. um, I think it could have been improved. Yeah, but, I thought, yeah, the rest of the movie kind of like moved well and right. But you're totally right about these films. They do kind of yeah. They almost the the really good ones don't. The the really good ones have a nice flow where you don't feel like that. But then some of the ones that are are fun, but they're not like classics. They mm-hmm. they do they do kind of have that rush feel. So without giving away the ending, did you like the twist outcome? Yeah, I did because I knew nothing from the this genre like you know nothing bad is gonna happen right right so i was curious to see how they would figure this out like was lorenzo just gonna like fall in love with her and like figure out a way to clean it up um or would there be some like yeah legal loophole or discovery or something um because at one point i thought you know maybe he is just gonna find that they don't owe any money (laughs) right right exactly so um, yeah, I liked how there was actually a problem that came up and then there was a fun yeah, twist and the daughter was the one who kind of sorted it out. So, Well, of course, she's the like star. <laughs> <laughs> so just to wrap up, where do you think Debbie Reynolds for you um, ranks in some of your favorite classic movie actresses? So I think for her, she's more of, she's always, the movies at least that I've seen from her, they're, you know, they're always so lighthearted and bubbly. Right. And that isn't necessarily the genre I gravitate toward. 
So I like more of the, yeah, either kind of the earlier rom-coms or um, a bit later. So I think she's kind of just like a solid actress from this time that is just enjoyable to watch. And like, if I see a movie that she's in, you know, I'll watch it. Sure. Um, but yeah, and like singing in the rain, that's one of the best. If, oh, of if, course. For like musical fans set and such. So she's always going to be like a top because of that too. And I, I know my mom loved uh, the unsinkable Molly Brown too. Oh, okay. I don't know if I've seen that. Well, we did cover one movie with her, the uh, gazebo. Yeah. So that was fun. Yeah. She's actually an underrated comedic actress too. Yeah, she is. Um, yeah. It's, you know, kind of a shame. I think that she isn't in more kind of like well-known classics. Right. I think for the general public, I just think of singing in the rain or mm-hmm. yeah, I think she could have been in some, more well-known more films. acclaimed so. movies. Yeah, exactly. She could have held her own in a lot of more things. She's almost better known now for just being, you know, um, Carrie Fisher's mom. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And just being kind of like part of Hollywood. Right. Like ho- Hollywood royalty. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been great. Thanks as always for doing this, Samantha. All right. Thanks. If you are ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and still love collecting or renting DVDs or VHS tapes, come check out Captain Video and San Mateo at 2837 South El Camino Real. Captain Video is open six days a week and closed on Wednesday, and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain Captain Video. Video. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.